singing number 277 in the green hymnal, Follow On.
today we want to look deep inside God's family, God's vast immortal family. Can you imagine what it would be like to belong to a family where every member is a shining immortal? If all are God's children, then it follows that all are brothers and sisters. Now, can you imagine having an angel for your own big brother or sister? Can you imagine having Jesus call you his brother or sister? The Apostle Paul's insight into this family included all this and more. There's just one word for it, awesome. As Paul was writing, he pictured himself, along with the other Christian brethren, as part of the family in name only. All had yet to be adopted to become true children of God. And before that, all, no exceptions, had to do their part and adapt themselves to be like the heavenly family in character. Is it worth the effort, Brother Paul, to become part of the heavenly family? Listen to his words to the Ephesians as he answers this profound question. What is Paul's mind? His answer is an astounding yes. I can't give more than myself and all I have, but it is worth it all and much more. I read Ephesians 3 verses 8 through 21 from the New King James Version. Ephesians 3, 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace, this divinely revealed knowledge was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, knowledge known only as revealed by God, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. The words through Jesus Christ have been added and contradict the teaching of the Bible. It is not part of the original text. God, not Jesus Christ, is the great creator. I will reread the verse omitting that phrase. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. As Paul ponders this insight into the great plan of God, he is overwhelmed with its magnitude. Listen as he puts his whole soul into one grand exclamation of worship to God the Father. For this reason, because of God's vast, incomprehensible, eternal purpose 
that joins God's children on earth and in heaven. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What will God do for, do for his family? Listen again as Paul continues his exclamation of worship and wonderment. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, who has blessed us with more than we could scarcely begin to deserve, who has promised to be with us in the valleys as well as on the heights. We come to you this morning with grateful hearts. Father, we need you. We need your presence that we may reverence you and live our lives in constant awareness of you. We need your loving care and discipline that we may adapt our lives, our likes and dislikes, the things we love to be like children, the, the things we love to be like children in your family. We need to be constantly reminded that looking for character that matches the quality of your dear son and nothing less will you accept. We know also that you have given us what we need to attain to that character, not all at once, but little by little, by diligence and discipline. Heavenly Father, the deepest longing of our heart is to become a permanent part of your noble family. You sent your Son to be our perfect example. We realize how often we fall short of this high attainment. But may we keep focused on his character and keep changing our ways until, little by little, we fit into your family. Father, Help us to make an honest reckoning of ourselves each day, to ask ourselves those searching questions. Were my words today always edifying, always kind, always words I would speak in the presence of Christ? Did I allow my eyes to linger on anything you forbid? Would Christ be pleased with how I used my time today? Or did I let the day slip away without reading and meditating on your word? In my contact with others, did they see something of Christ in me? And as we daily mold our characters to be like that of your son, we pray that he may recognize something of his own reflection in us and one day accept us, his own brothers and sisters, to share the rights and privileges of sonship world without end. In his worthy name we pray. Amen. Please join in singing number 211 in the black hymnal. 
I would be like Jesus. Today we're looking at part 18 of our Galatians series, and we're calling it Adaption Before Adoption. We've had quite a lot about adoption and how we get into God's family. His children aren't, aren't born into the family. They have to be brought in by a process of adoption. And ahead of that adoption, we have this word, which is very familiar to us today, adaption. Because of the teaching of evolution and for so many years now since the time of Darwin, <coughs> adaption has become a very prominent word in the science world. And adaption, adaptation, something adapting to its environment. When they don't have any 
creator and they don't recognize a God behind all the wonders that are out there, they have to have some way to explain in words at least, clumsy as it might be, that the animals themselves <coughs> adapt to their environment because everywhere it's so obvious that the plants and animals are adapted for certain areas. The conditions on the planet are so diverse that there's no way that something can live just anywhere. It has to adapt to its environment and they give the credit of course to the creature or the plant. If you think about it when you're reading it, it sounds fantastic. How these creatures could, could change willfully from one kind of structure to another and survive and fit into their environment and get it somehow into their genes so that they can pass it on to their offspring. It's really underneath a fairy tale. And very likely, we have to say that it's pretty obviously recognized. I remember in very, very early grade school, they, they taught us that the difference between the carvings on Mount Rushmore, where you can see the likeness of a president versus something that is a rock that was blown and, and weathered by erosion and had a definite shape but not a precise example of a, or a representation of a person that you knew. The face of Lincoln does not look like the face of George Washington and wind and rain and weather are not going to create it. Same thing with this adapting in nature. It's not something that the creatures themselves are doing. They're designed for a certain situation and that's where they live. But this, this thing about adaptation is a very good word if we apply it right. I just thought I'd bring an example of this, so I just opened up the last issue of the National Geographic. And this is, this is one of these magazines, of course, which is very well researched and very well documented, but they're always giving credit to the creature itself for adapting to its environment. I thought, well, I'll just, just scan a few pages here. Well, it didn't take much. They have an article on migration of birds, and they have this statement here because they've discovered that this one particular bird, they call it a godwit, it migrates from Alaska to New Zealand every year. That's the longest migration they've ever, ever documented for any bird. It takes eight days and eight nights to get there. No word but for it, fantastic for it. But this little creature does it because they say it has adapted over thousands of years to learn this migration. They don't know whether it learns it from its parents or whether it has it in its, in all written in its genes when it's when it hatches, but they've got this documentation that this happens all the time. They said it's probably some combination of the two. The ordeal of flying nonstop from Alaska to New Zealand is hard for the human mind to comprehend. <clears throat> so this science talks to his grade school children about it when he says, now he says, stand up, extend your arms, and start moving them in circles and see how long you can do that. So he keeps them doing it, and just about the time they begin to tire out and their arms start dropping, he says, no, now you've got to do this for eight days straight. Eight days and eight nights. That's what these birds do. 
So he gets the point across that it's, it's a pretty big point that they can keep going all this time. And then he tells how they fuel up ahead of time because they get, they get to looking like little croquet balls, he says, because they eat so much to get started for all this. But, and when they arrive, they're emaciated, but they, they get there. They do this all the time, and they even shrink some of their other organs to, he says it's like jettisoning, jettisoning excess cargo so that they have enough, um, so that they're lightweight as possible to make the trip. They only have what they really, really need. Where'd they get all this? How do they get this into their genes to pass it on? Well, they haven't figured that out yet. They take advantage of the winds. They take advantage of everything they possibly can to make it that distance because it's, it's a fantastic achievement. But this word adapting comes up over and over in this story. These clues to adaptations led to today's roots that we can gain, glean certain unusual migration information from. So they've, but it's all because the birds adapt to their situation. Well, when we come to the right use of this word, it is a very, very useful word because in our Christian life, we have to adapt. But God has given us the intelligence. It's not something we have in our genes or need in our genes. It's something we're using our knowledge to do. And that's what our scripture lesson today highlights because we have this God-given ability to know his plan. He's revealed his plan. And so for the purpose of understanding this term adaption in our current lesson, we have a definition. Normally it's thought to be a modification of an organism to fit the conditions of its environment. Well, in adoption... It's conformity to the image, purposes, and interests of the family into which the child is being adopted. That's what this adaption is that we're talking about. We have to conform to the likeness of the family before we get adopted into it. Now, this adoption process is part of our Galatians story here in Galatians 4, 5. Paul talks about how the law was in place, bringing us to Christ. And then when Christ comes, this is Galatians 4, 5, he comes to redeem us, to redeem those who were under the law. That's the old law that's at this point gone out of service. He says he came to redeem us that we might receive the adoption of sons, sons belonging to the family, being brought into the family. And verse 6, because you are sons, now this is where we get the benefits of being sons. We need this adoption process to bring us into the family. And once we're there, now we have the advantages of being in the family. And because we've adapted to the family, we get accepted in. Why do we want to be in? Because we want to belong. We want to belong to the Father. We don't want to be just a step outside. We want to really be part of this family. And so that's where Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That's the personal connection of having a heavenly Father. That's one real advantage of being in. 
Last week we had about it being temporary now, permanent once we're fully accepted and adapted. Right now we have the privilege of saying, Our Father. We can pray. Jesus said, Pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now there's your first step toward adoption, temporarily in, because we are adapting. And then the next verse is another advantage of being in the family. He says, therefore, this is Galatians 4, 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir, an heir to what God has to give. An heir in this case is not waiting for God to disappear out of the picture. No, it's an heir of all that he has offered to his sons and daughters. This heirship through comes through the adoption being adopted into Christ. And we don't get adopted into Christ until we get adapted. And that's where we have this, this point of being his own brothers and sisters. It's a great thought. Just think of having Christ for our elder brother. We're all used to siblings. However we picture it, good or bad, some good, some not so good, but being siblings of Jesus, that's getting out of the normal range of family. So we have it in Hebrews 2.10 that it was fitting for God, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, bringing many sons into the family. He's not just stopping at a few. He's bringing in sons all the time. This is an enormous family we're talking about here. Bringing many sons to glory. It's bright and shining. This is the brightest picture you can get of a family. So it, so it was fitting for God to make the captain of their salvation, that's Christ, the elder brother, perfect through sufferings. And he goes on and calls them brethren. He says, therefore, he says, they're, they're sanctified Jesus says how they're sanctified in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Your word is truth. We get sanctified through the word. That's how we get into the family. There's again being adapted into the family. There's something that has to happen before we get in. We aren't just brought in free for all. We have to meet the standards of the family. So that's what we have in Hebrews 2.11. Both he who sanctifies, he's taught us the word, he taught us what to do. And those who are being sanctified are all of one, all one family, all one, all one group. For which reason? Because they're bringing into the family, they're being adapted. He is not ashamed to call them brothers, brothers of Jesus, his own brothers. Saying, I will declare your name to my brothers. That's quoted right out of the Old Testament. That's a very nice little quotation right there. Verse 12, from Psalm 22, 22. He's not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name, that's God's name, to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, verse 13, I will put my trust in God. And then verse, the end of that verse says, and again, here am I, Jesus, and the children whom God has given me. More brothers and sisters. Big family here. Big family to keep adding to, adding all the time. 
We're not talking about something small and limited. We're talking about a plan that reaches the duration of the extent of the universe. This is mortals being brought into an immortal family eventually. Long process, but it's the plan. It's the plan of God to have these brought in new family members all the time. But they're select. They're not everybody that comes along. It's the ones that we have to get qualified to meet. That's the adapting process. That's why we have today this subject of adaption before adoption. He's bringing in a select group here because he wants them in his family. He wants them for his siblings. These are his family. Jesus has his family here. Someone else has a family on another world. These families are coming together all the time, but they're all children of God. They're all sons and daughters of God, all brothers and sisters. And the ones that have come in before, well, they're part of the family too. Just have to pick up a little special verse in Revelation. We really don't have time for it, but can't miss it. It's so good. This is where the Apostle John was getting the last words of his revelation from Jesus, what Jesus had sent. This is Revelation 22. And John is just overwhelmed with the whole experience. And he says, and he's making his own little notes in his book here. He says, this is Revelation 22, 8. I, John, saw and heard these things. My own eyes and ears, I saw and heard it. It Revelation, it was vision. He saw and heard all of this. It's been going on here for chapters. And when I saw and heard, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Well, back at the beginning, it said Jesus sent his own angel to deliver this message. And this is the angel, very special angel that was serving Jesus Christ after he went to the Father's throne. John falls down at the feet of this angel that he sees to to worship. And the angel responds immediately, verse 9. He says, see that you do it not. Don't do this. I am your fellow servant and of your brothers, the prophets. I'm your brother, the prophets. I'm of that same group, all one family. He came from a different world somewhere else, but he says, I'm one of your brothers, the prophets. And of those who keep the words of this book, Can you imagine? This is an angel speaking, and he says, I'm one of your brothers. So this shows how the family comes together. We've got Christ as the elder brother and all these siblings coming along from this world and that world. They're all coming together to be one family. And that's why we want to go to Ephesians 3. It's a little out of our Galatians range, but we can't leave it alone because it's so key to the subject here. It's the core of this subject because here Paul is putting it in words like he didn't quite get there in Galatians, but it's part of the picture because this is the purpose behind the whole thing. Ephesians 3. Paul's feeling all the way through his incapability. Well, we shouldn't call it incapability. His lack of qualification for the job he was given. He felt he was below the worth of the rest of them because he had done such dreadful things to the cause before he was brought into it. He just couldn't quite forget that. Never could he forget what he had done. Even though he knew it wasn't being held against him, it still was on the record. He had done it. So here he says in Ephesians 3, 8, to me who am less than the least of all the saints. 
He can hardly bring himself to measure up, and yet here he is, an apostle chosen by Jesus, serving every day wholeheartedly all the way to the end of his life. But he says, here I've been entrusted with this special grace, this knowledge, this special knowledge of the plan of God. We all come to a point where we wonder, why do we have life? Why did God give me life? Why am I here? It's a question anybody that's thoughtful is going to ask at some point in their life. And that's what Paul is answering here. Because he sees his life given special purpose. Because he says, I was sent to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship. Fellowship. There's the family coming together. Joining together some common goal, something common to share and enjoy together and appreciate together and reach for together. To make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Mystery being the word that's used because this is knowledge from God. It's not something you're going to get any other place. You have to go to the word of God to get it for us. He had to go to the source because he had the Holy Spirit power giving it to him so he could reveal it. That's what he says earlier in the chapter. And so he could reveal it to them. And he says, I'm writing it down so that when you read, you'll understand. So here we have that knowledge revealed called a mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things. It hasn't been revealed worldwide because it would be abused. It would be useless. But it's been revealed anywhere it could be used and more. There's plenty of it available. He says right here, we have this knowledge, this mystery, so that he can preach it among the Gentiles, the people that are not Jews. He can, anyone can learn this, that he'll make sure that God is making sure that anyone who will use it will have it. And that's Paul being the instrument in this case for these people. What had been hidden, it's not, not commonly revealed, but it's there. It's very visible. In God who created all things. Leave out those words through Jesus Christ because Christ is not the creator of the universe. That was thrown in by some perhaps well-intentioned translator, but misinformed. He's not the creator. So we come down to the next, to the intent, verse 10, that to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold might sound old-fashioned to us. It's a wonderful little word. And it, it's translated in the different translations. It means many folds. It means wisdom in all its varied forms, one translation says, New English Bible says. New Jerusalem says how many-sided is God's wisdom. It has so many aspects. Well, it does because it's got so many different views from different angles because it comes from here and there. It's God's plan being pulled together, getting these children, getting his sons and daughters from all these different plans that he has in place, but it's all underneath one purpose and one plan. They come from different places, but here they are coming together into one family to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ. He's making known an eternal purpose. There's our key to understanding where this comes from. It's according to an eternal ongoing purpose. To bring together these immortal children, 
finally bring them into the family. And that's what we have here in Ephesians 3. It's according to an eternal purpose, which he purposed. It's been working on and on through centuries before we come along. Centuries, ages, millenniums, scores of millenniums. Bigger numbers than we can come up with. It's been going on and on and on. This is the big picture. So this is where the adoption comes in. And it's, this is the results of all this adoption. Ephesians 3.14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm overwhelmed. I just can't take it in, he says. This eternal purpose, bringing all these immortal children into the family. I can only bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great God behind all this, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Can't forget the earth, but the big part of this is the heaven. The whole family in heaven. That's a term we can't begin to imagine how big that is. Hubble can make pictures of all these galaxies out there. They're only seeing a surface of it. It goes on and on and on. This is an eternal purpose, something from an everlasting creator that's been going on and on. It's a bigger picture here than we can comprehend, but we need to see it. We need to get a glimpse of it to get us motivated because being adapted into this family, being adopted into this family, what does it mean? In whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. When Nehemiah prayed way back, after the captivity, after the, after the people were coming back to Jerusalem and setting up their worship again, he says, you are God alone. This is Nehemiah 9.6. And he talks about the hosts of heaven that worship. It's not a small thing. He says, you're the creator. And he says, it's, it's hosts of heaven that worship you. Hosts and hosts. That's a huge, huge term. You've made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the sea and all there is therein. And you preserve them all, and the hosts of heaven worship you. That's this whole family in heaven and earth. The earth part is still developing, but the whole family in heaven is there. So Paul... So Paul has a little, little glimpse into this picture. If we go to the chapter Isaiah 43, we get another little picture of this family. Isaiah 43 has a little different angle on it, but he's gathering his children on earth, this, this earth part of it. The heaven part, yes, we can, we can imagine that's out there. It's beyond our reach. But if we come to the earth part, well, this is tangible. And this is where we are in Isaiah 43, he says about bringing his family together. He says, I will gather you because he's taking the terminology here from the captivity, getting the people back together. So he says here in Isaiah 43, verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. Descendants being all one family again. I will say to the north, give them up. To the south, do not keep them back. Bring Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. There's the family. My sons and daughters, those that I have, 
that he's been working with. He says, bring them from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name. Well, being called by God's name, that shows they're in the family. Those in the family bear God's name. We have that from Exodus 23, 20. Those in the family, they have God's name. Revelation 14, 4 says that they had the Father's name written in their foreheads. Revelation 14, 1. I looked and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion with him, 144,000 having the Father's name written in their foreheads. They're part of the family. They're identified with the family. They have his name, his word in their minds. They've got it all part of them. And verse 10 says, verse, verse 7 says that process that's gone on. They've been adapted. He says, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, him being my sons and daughters. There's the composite use of this term. A group of many called one, all brought into the family. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. They've been adapted to the family. It isn't that God does it, but here we are meeting his standard, coming into his family. Yes, he does it. He gives us the prescription. He gives us the rules. He gives us the guidelines. He tells us how to do it. That's what adapting is all about, coming into the family. So we're bringing the family together. He's, Christ is the firstborn among many sons. That's from Romans eight twenty nine. We had that a couple times before. He's the firstborn in this case because he's the eldest of this group. He's bringing in the rest of them, bringing many sons to glory because they're immortal children. They're going to be immortal. Once that adoption is complete, they're immortal. Let's sing our middle song, number 107, Pearly Gates.
we take the idea of adapting just into very practical situations, we see a lot of things about our nature which are not Christ-like. We don't start out adapted as part of this family. We start out very rudimentary, very basic, and that's where Paul was with the Galatians. He says, you're turning back. You're going back to what you started from. The law of Moses did not require this adapting. It didn't require any real inner change. It was a surface type of law. Much as we keep the law of the land, it was only what could be observed on the outside that was being judged. So what you really thought about, how you really felt about something, what you believed, didn't really figure into your qualifications in keeping that law. When it comes to the law of faith, the law of Christ, this word faith encompasses every part of our being. It's loving the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. There's nothing left out. That includes everything from your muscles to your mind to your actions to your thoughts, to your beliefs, every part of us. There's nothing omitted in that comprehensive term. And that's what adapting is all about, coming to that level of life. That's for the picture we have in Ephesians 3, because here, after Paul exclaims about this family, he's saying that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that is Ephesians 3.16, to be strengthened with might through his spirit, that's his word, in the inner man. Not external like the Galatians. They were going back to the surface things. They were going back to what they had left behind. Here they were wanting to go back to the easy, comfortable way. We can do this, sure. We can We can. We can have certain rituals we can have certain we can make the sacrifices we can keep the sabbath we can do these things with we can we can follow the ten commandments that's easy there's no problem with any of that but it didn't require that heart command commitment which paul is saying is the essence of this family this whole family in heaven and earth to be strengthened with might through his spirit, through his word, in the inner man, inside. It's all about what we think and feel and do and really the why underneath. What are we really doing with our life? So then he goes on, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now that Christ is not literally the Christ himself. This is Christ representing his teaching, his word. We call it Christ the truth, Christ the this is the spiritual Christ. This is the Christ that is the teaching he embodied, what he exemplified in everyday life. That you may be rooted and grounded in love. Colossians 1.27 speaks of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not literally Christ, but the hope of glory is, is termed Christ. So here we have that Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, that's the motivating power of our life, to be like Christ. That verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love. There's another term. The old law didn't require love. They didn't have to love somebody. If, if they, they hated them, that was all right, too. There was no command to not hate in the old, old law. It wasn't affecting that part of life. 
you couldn't hurt them, you couldn't harm them, but you didn't have to have any right feeling toward them either. Didn't have to forgive them. That wasn't part of the old law. This new law of Christ, that's what Paul is saying. This faith in Christ is a whole different way of life. Ephesians 3:18. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Now he's talking about the knowledge of God, comprehending this knowledge of God to understand what is the width and length and depth and height. This plan of God has dimensions that go every direction, furthest every way, to comprehend the height and depth of the knowledge of God and what he's doing. That's what Paul's all about right here. Next verse, 19, And to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Beyond all this height and width and depth and length is the love behind it. The God that's willing to bring us into his immortal family to join those heavenly beings to let them be our own brothers and sisters so that angel can say to us I'm one of your brethren I'm one of your brothers I belong to the same family that you're getting into all one big plan so he says I'm able to so that we're able to comprehend this is what this overwhelming worship of Paul is about so that we can comprehend what is the length and breadth and height and depth of his knowledge, and then the love behind it, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Just an overwhelmed expression. This is what adaption is all about. Coming into the family, making our life like Christ, bringing us to the standard, because... We have to be there if we're going to belong. Otherwise, we won't fit. He won't bring us in if we don't fit. We have to adapt. And we have to do the adapting. That's why he's given us minds. That's why he's given us this knowledge. That's why he gives us life. That's why we're here on the earth. This is why we have this time. He didn't create this earth in vain. He formed it to be inhabited, but inhabited by the people that are his family. It's all about his own sons and daughters. He's going to bring them from far, from the... Like the verse in Isaiah, it's going to bring them from all over. Those, everyone that is called by my name. Not everybody that lives, not everybody that happens to be born, but those who are called by his name. They bear his name because they have his family likeness. We don't, we don't want to be bearing Christ's name if we aren't like the family. We have to represent the family. We have to represent it in the right way. If we go out to the store and try to cheat and get something for nothing, we're not acting like the family. We're not bearing his name. If we're going to be called by his name, we have to represent his family. We have to be the kind of people that are in his family. That's why we have the word. That's why we have the written word to follow because we have to be like the family. We have to keep becoming more and more like the family, take on the likeness of the family. We have to have the characteristics of the family if we don't have those characteristics, we're not going to fit. We won't be part of the family. It's all about adapting our nature and our ways to fit into the family. And that's why we're given life. That's why we have this little book of Galatians to tell us how to get into that family. Because God has a plan. He has a purpose for his creation. And everyone who comes into the family has to be called by his name and represent that name, represent it fairly and openly to 
wherever we go, whether it's at home, whether it's shopping, whether it's working, whether it's just plain relaxing at home, we have to have that standard in our minds and that goal to be like the family. We're adapting to a new family. We can't be what we naturally are. He doesn't want us in our rough, natural state. He gives us the tools to become like his family. That's what he's looking for in us. He doesn't make us that way. He gives us the tools we need to become like the family. And then it's up to us to make that happen, to adapt to the family so that we can qualify to be adopted. Otherwise, why the process of adoption? We might as well be born into it if everybody gets in automatically, but no, that's not the plan. And as we go ahead in Galatians here, we're going to see a lot of details of this adapting. It's going to involve taking off the old nature and putting on the new. It's going to involve taking, taking down our instincts and our natural inclinations that we want what we want when we want it. We've got to get these things under control because we have to adapt to the family likeness. We have to become like the family. That means the virtues, all the virtues that come with it, because this is a very outstanding, virtuous family. And what does God have for this family? Just have to pick this up before we close. In Ephesians 3:20, we have a tremendous little point here, what God is planning to do for the members of this family. You can stretch your mind around this one. You've got to do some real stretching. This is Paul at his best. This is Paul at his highest moment of worship, ascribing the greatness to God. Verse 20 of Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do, who is able to do. That word able is dynamite. It's a powerful word. It's the most powerful word Paul could come up with. It's not just that he's able from a simple standpoint he has the power to do all this and what's that and having the ability to do things that are real prospects something that we can really feel fulfilled at something that beneficial something that's developing something that has a future he's able to do all we ask or think well think of a lot of things you can ask for a lot of things doesn't mean we'd get them now but here's here's the great god that can give it and he's going to do above all that. And look at the next word ahead of that. He's going to do abundantly above all that. And it's going to exceed even that. Exceeding abundantly above. This is Paul at his highest moment. This is what kept him going through the beatings and through the prison hours and through those long trudges through the woods and the cold and the miseries that he went through to get this message from one family to the next in his little ecclesias as he traveled across the, the plains and the mountains and all the thousands of miles he trekked. A lot of physical endurance here that we have no concept of what it must have been like. When he said perils in the sea and perils in the, of robbers and all those things he went through that he listed in, in Corinthians but he had his vision above it because this was the God he was serving who was able to do all of this for us, he says, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That's what we want. The, this 
life that goes on forever and ever. This is the big goal that God has in place for this family, this whole family in heaven and earth. When he gets his family together, it's going to keep keep growing. It's going to keep on growing. This is not something static that comes to a maximum. It's, we're getting invited in, and there'll be more beyond us. We're just coming in our time. So let's not let these things slip. Let's keep the vision, keep the big picture. This is where Paul kept his faith strong. We have to keep ours strong, too. Keep it motivated, keep it renewed. Because this is the many-sided wisdom of God, that manifold wisdom of God and his eternal purpose. Let us pray that we can keep our vision focused and keep in this plan, keep going with it, not let any time slip because this is our opportunity and our time is limited. This is our window of opportunity now to grab it. Otherwise, it will be gone and we'll miss it. We have to get it now. We'll have Bible school this week as usual, and Brother Gerald will close with prayer after the offering. close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we wait with eagerness for the day when we can be fully adopted and become permanent members of your heavenly family. But first, we must become thoroughly acquainted with your family, even to accepting their way of life. This means learning to love as they love one another, learning to speak as they would speak to one another, adapting our interests and ways to theirs. We have listened to Jesus' words that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into his kingdom. Many may make a false pretense, but Christ will accept only those who are genuine. Lord, we know how easy it is to be deceived into thinking we are like the family when we are not. To adapt our naturally wayward ways to your family, we must bear Christ's honor, represent his truth, display his courage, 
and replicate his character. If we take the name of Christ, we must truly represent Christ in all our actions and interactions with one another. In every decision, every attitude, every deed, we want to ask ourselves, is this your will? Is this being like the family? Am I being true to Christ's name? Am I living worthy of my high calling? Father, we realize what an awesome privilege you have extended to us. Help us never to let the vision fade, but grow brighter and brighter as we learn more and more of your plan and purpose for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.